great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. That's a great day for uh, Joe Biden in one way. He has uh, apparently participated in negotiations to avert a freight rail strike, which would have been devastating to the economy. And uh, the economy has enough problems still trying to recover from the market collapse to try to deal with the reality of, of greatly increased interest rates. And by the way, they are now saying that a typical home mortgage is going to be back up to 6%. And, uh, and, and that's, that's for a 30-year mortgage that's more than double what the rate was, the best rate you could get some time ago. And that has a real impact on people. I mean, one of the things that I think that conservatives and Republicans particularly care about is the idea of people becoming homeowners. Because there's all kinds of evidence from sociologists and everybody who's analyzed it that when you own a home, this was a great insight that was advocated so many times by Jack Kemp, the uh, great, he was a nominee for vice president in 1996. He was a secretary of housing and urban development. And of course, a great football quarterback and also a member of Congress who helped uh, put together Reaganomics and the whole idea of supply side economics. One of the things that he realized and dedicated his life to was uh, being able to place people in a home that they own is uh, the the best way to encourage uh, good and pro-social behavior. And right now, when you're talking about the damage to the aspirations of young people, I um, we we know a young couple from our congregation that, that we attend and. Uh, and a very young couple. They're in their 20s. And they're desperately hoping to buy a home, uh, both working. Uh, one has a job at Microsoft, which is a, a good job to have. But uh, the, the difficulty is with real estate prices, even though they've cooled down a bit, with them being as high as they are right now, particularly in the Seattle area, but wherever you live, they're high right now. And uh, it's a real difference if you can, once upon a time, I mean, there was a time not that long ago, you could get a home mortgage for 3% or sometimes less, even less. And now 6% again, that uh, makes all the difference in the world to a young couple. Because uh, there's nobody, Joe Biden's not going to come around and say, oh, same way I forgive your college loans, I'm forgiving your mortgage. Uh, no, you can't do that without causing complete disaster. And you actually can't do that for the, for the college loans without causing your own kind of disaster. Um, there is this, though, that is uh, actually the kind of news that the president would welcome. And the headline from Associated Press, Biden approval rises sharply ahead of midterms. Uh, one of the most prestigious polls out there, this is the Associated Press National Opinion Research uh, Center, University of Chicago poll. It uh, uh, says in the text that, um, that right now, uh, Biden's popularity has improved substantially from his lowest point this summer, 
but concerns about his handling of the economy persist. President Joe Biden's popularity improved substantially. Uh, the uh, Associated Press NORC Center Public Affairs Research poll says that uh, Biden's support recovered from a low of 36% in July, just two months ago, all the way up to 49, 45%. Pardon me, it's a nine-point jump, uh, driven in large part by a rebound in support from Democrats just two months before the November midterm elections. During a few bleak summer months when gasoline prices peaked and lawmakers appeared deadlocked, the Democrats faced the possibility of blowout losses against Republicans. Uh, their outlook appears better after notching a string of legislative successes that left more Americans ready to judge the Democratic president on his preferred terms. Don't compare me to the almighty, Joe Biden says, compare me to the alternative. Well, that's not really fair because there is no alternative right now. I mean, the alternative is a different kind of leadership that will, we hope, be coming from the House of Representatives and from a congressional majority that will put out positive ideas and some real leadership. The uh, president's overall approval rating remains underwater. He uh, has 45% approval, 53% of U.S. adults disapprove of him, and the economy continues to be a weakness for Biden. Just 38% approve of his economic leadership as the country faces stubbornly high inflation, and Republicans try to make household finances the axis of the upcoming vote. Okay, uh, this goes along with more bad news for Democrats. And that involves the Latino voters who are migrating, uh, not across any borders, they're migrating to the Republican Party. And I think the, the idea of treating uh, asylum seekers from Venezuela, for goodness sake, I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't most conservatives support people who are trying to run away from communist tyranny in Venezuela and to make a fresh start in America? Aren't those people, just on a partisan basis, very likely to become Republican voters? And uh, that's what the past has shown. That's what this story says. And the idea that you are going to uh, then try to score political points by uh, sending them to Martha's Vineyard, which doesn't really have facilities for handling a couple of busloads or plane loads of uh, asylum seekers. And, and again, uh, this is also why it's wrong when, when people are saying, um, there was a voice on Fox, I don't want to say which one, but that was saying, well, we're going to introduce to uh, uh, the people on Martha's Vineyard, uh, how do you like your new neighbors? How do you like your new neighbors? Yeah, you don't like them so much, do you? And the idea being that people who have gone through the ordeal of coming to the United States from Venezuela or, or from Mexico or El Salvador or anywhere else, and basically saying that because people have applied for asylum here for one reason or another, that means that they should be treated with contempt or they should be 
be treated as some kind of punishment. And uh, again, uh, this uh, this is a, 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 a truly problematic situation at a time when Latino sentiment is already shifting toward the Republican Party. They, they, they say in this piece in the Wall Street Journal, a few miles from the Las Vegas Strip, in a working-class neighborhood of one-story homes and scattered palm trees, Vanya Oronas is pushing her husband to give up his habit of voting Democratic. Uh, Mrs. Oronos and many of her neighbors are shifting toward the Republican Party, a pattern that's being replicated across the country. The move has been especially pronounced among working-class Latinos, whose votes have the potential to reshape the political parties in the same way that the movement of white working-class voters has made them a pillar of the Republican Party. Mrs. Oronos, a 44-year-old immigrant from Mexico, runs a taco business with her husband, and she backed President Biden in 2020 when she cast her first vote as a U.S. citizen. She said she's become disenchanted with Democrats over the state of inflation and school quality, as well as the party's failure to approve a pathway to citizenship for the undocumented. Instead, she's putting her support behind GOP candidates in this fall's election, including the Republican Adam Laxalt trying to defeat Senator Catherine Cortez Masto, only Latino ever elected to the Senate. More coming up. Medved show, there is a uh, Wall Street Journal survey that is cited in this Wall Street Journal article about how it is that Latinos, particularly working class Latinos, are moving toward the Republican Party. Uh, the journal poll found that uh, uh, this year, in late August, so uh, just days ago, literally, uh, Latino voters would pick a Democratic candidate for Congress over a Republican, but only by 11 percentage points. Four years ago, when there was last a midterm election, non-presidential election, the uh, Democrats had an advantage of 34 points, not 11 points. So when you're talking about a difference of 11 points, it's almost even. And what's also fascinating about it is uh, there's only one group within the Latino community that shows a much higher level of Democratic support. And wouldn't you think it would be the people who have most recently immigrated, the people who uh, are facing the most hardship and challenge and uh, yeah, I mean, people think that. It's not. The uh, group within the Latino community that is much more likely to support Democrats over Republicans are uh, people with a four-year college degree. And uh, again, given the fact that there has been a tremendous surge of Latinos participating in uh, four-year college degree programs and actually graduating from those programs, uh, this is a striking difference. Uh, Latinos without uh, a four-year college degree 
uh, picked a Democratic candidate over a Republican by only six percentage points. But Democrats for Latino voters with college degrees favored uh, Democrats by 26 percentage points. And look, the, the idea that uh, you're going to win over people by moving uh, immigrants around, asylum seekers, they're not even immigrants yet, they're waiting. And again, when you interview these people, apparently they have every intention of coming forward and having their asylum case judged. And most of them will be granted asylum. I think that's particularly true for the people from Venezuela. There are people from Nicaragua coming now. And Nicaragua, because of Danny the Red, Ortega, uh, Nicaragua is one of those countries that is moving toward a communist dictatorship again. And remember the Sandinistas? Well, they're back. And that means that there are a lot of Nicaraguans who are hoping to get out of Dodge. And the fact that people come to the United States, present themselves at an immigration office. Now, it's true. No one invited them. They didn't have a visa in advance. They should have a visa in advance. But sometimes one of the things that happens is when you're dealing with a communist evil country like uh, Venezuela, they, they won't give it to you. They won't do that for you in Nicaragua. El Salvador, who knows what's going on with El Salvador? They have a very charismatic young president who at least is trying to break up the gangs, Bukele. But um, is, this, is this really something the Republican Party should be associated with? And I want the Republicans to win. I want the Republicans to represent the best of America. But uh, the news story... Uh, says that uh, about two dozen men and women stood outside the U.S. Naval Observatory. That's the vice president's residence. That's Kamala Harris's house. They stood there at dawn, uh, clutching clear plastic bags of their belongings, which they had carried with them here to the United States before moving to a nearby church. Uh, the vice president's office had no immediate comment. After migrants seeking asylum uh, across the U.S.-Mexico border, they spent time in a U.S. Customs and Border Protection facility along the border until they were generally released into the U.S. to wait out their cases. Republicans say Biden's policies encourage migrants to vanish into the U.S., uh, and they, of course, prefer, and I think they're right about this, the Trump-era policy of uh, forcing migrants to wait out their asylum cases in Mexico. Um, and look, I, this is a complicated matter of diplomacy as well. But to uh, go back to that wait in Mexico policy for asylum applicants does not seem un unreasonable. Uh, says um, Governor Abbott uh, flew last week um, about 75 migrants to Chicago. And DeSantis flew two planes of immigrants to Martha's Vineyard on Wednesday. See, the Chicago Martha's Vineyard thing, I understand, because what you're trying to do is you're trying to generate hostility, not so much to the immigrants, but you're trying to generate hostility 
to the uh, people on the left who inhabit Martha's Vineyard, and it is one of the great enclaves of privileged people on the progressive left, and trying to show that, well, okay, here you are, you favor certain immigration policies, but the impact falls on other people who live close to the border and people who are not as so rich they can afford beautiful homes on Martha's Vineyard. Okay, understand that, but you're talking about human beings. I, uh, I was just looking at, because um, my, brother, my brother Jonathan just uh, sent me some information that he'd found from one of these heritage uh, sites uh, about our grandfather. And none of us met him. He died before my parents were married. And uh, he brought the family from Germany and brought the family from Germany in 1934. And the gratitude and the hard work, uh, my grandfather, before he died, uh, was able to build a business, to employ people, uh, to bring other people over and sponsorship to escape being killed. And uh, again, when, when you're talking about people who are, are fleeing from, uh, n not they're not fleeing from authorities who are trying to arrest gang members because you can't apply for asylum if you have a criminal record. That's just not going to work. You're not going to get the asylum. And uh, the, the notion that they're trying to make media events out of uh, the collision of um, truly destitute and desperate people, uh, the, the idea that that's a, a great look for the Republican Party, for Governor DeSantis and Governor Abbott, particularly for Governor Abbott, uh, and we'll see how he does in the election coming up. Hey, he'll win, I'm sure. He's running for governor of Texas. Beto O'Rourke is, well, he's Beto O'Rourke. 1-800-955-1776 uh, is our phone number. show there are two perplexing stories about popular music that we will get to uh, one involving why it is that so many young people uh, are, are purchasing merchandise that memorializes bands that they've never listened to they can't name a single song uh, we'll get to that coming up on the Medved Show, and to a choice of songs at a White House celebration that is uh, very peculiar. Let's go first to Steve in Nebraska. You're on the Medved Show. Yeah, hey, thanks, Mike, uh, Medhead member here. Hey, I've got a question. Um, do you, is it just the Venezuelans you're concerned about going to Martha's Vineyard? Or was it any migrants at all? Now, it's the idea of spending, and I'm not sure whose money is paying for it. I assume it's state money, but actually chartering planes or chartering buses and uh, moving people and just dropping them off, not coordinating with the local authorities in Martha's Vineyard because they didn't. 
not co- uh, consorting or or collaborating with the officials in Chicago. He sent 75 people, Governor Abbott, to Chicago. And by the way, Chicago has plenty of illegal immigrants. It is uh, it is a, a major, now it is a, a, almost one-third Hispanic city uh, because they have lots of immigrants there. So what what is the point other than just trying to use the people as props to make a political point and uh, to spend government money to do that i think is pretty dubious for governor DeSantis and governor Tex- uh governor abbott of texas uh here's a report i'm sorry steve i want to give you a chance to respond but the state of texas has now spent more than 12 million dollars busing migrants to washington dc and new york who crossed into the state from Mexico, according to figures from the Texas Division of Emergency Management. A state government spreadsheet obtained by CNN, as of uh, August 9th, Texas has spent $12,707,000 to win transportation, the charter bus service that's taking migrants to those two cities in the north. Uh, you, you see the problem with that, yeah? Um, government spending, you think that's even a thing anymore? I mean, does anybody even care about that anymore? The government spending money, breaking news, government spending money, $31 trillion. Um, But I just, my point is, like, you think the Hispanics are so sensitive and so emotionally distraught from the background as to what they're, what they're, coming from that they're going to be you don't think that martha's vineyard accepting them and including them in their uh, communities isn't going to and uh, it's just i don't know if it's a sanctuary environment but why i i just i can't believe that you're even remotely upset that that uh um you know we would be you know, I, if they're that sensitive, and they're, they're, they're probably Democrats anyway, if they're so but, emotionally, but they're but they're, you know. they're 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 not. I mean, again, one of the things about uh, immigrants to this country, and this is true for immigrants from Mexico too. One of the things they're trying to get away from in Mexico is socialism. One of the things they're trying to get away from, certainly in in Venezuela or Cuba or Nicaragua is socialism and and I you just wonder if you've gone through something of an ordeal some of it through walking uh, and and you've finally gotten into the United States then to be put on a bus where you have very little to say about where you're going and just dropped off somewhere it it, it seems to me that um, that that's basically an attempt to score political points. Um, and uh, a Republican Governor Abbott in Texas, his office has said migrants are transported out of state only with their written permission, but it is not clear what other options have been offered to the migrants. And again, these are not people who are just coming here and saying, okay, we're going to go and go out and make our lives in America. There are people who are applying for status as asylum seekers. And um, 
You know, the uh, uh, one one of the questions here about the 12 million being used to bus them here is, is that going to make for a better outcome? Or is it possible that uh, that immigrants might actually do better in parts of the country where there are already substantial Latino populations? And of course, when they're sending people to Washington, D.C. or New York or Chicago, which they're also doing, that that also uh, are those are also places where there are large immigrant communities. Steve, I appreciate your listening, and I thank you for your call. Um, coming up, there's a, a piece here in the uh, Wall Street Journal, and the headline is, Old Rock Band T-Shirts Are in Fashion, Never Mind the Music. And it talks about a, a family named Jenkins, where the kids are wearing old rock band T-Shirts uh, which are very fashionable right now, despite the fact they've never heard the music. Uh, Jacob Gillick, who is a 28-year-old teacher in St. Louis, Missouri, who described himself as a teenage metalhead growing up, said that uh, during the last school year, he would see five to six middle school students a day wearing a T-shirt from a rock band he recognized from his own adolescence. It's a huge letdown when you realize they don't actually listen to it. Major fashion outfitters like uh, PacSun and Urban Outfitters offer products like Nirvana t-shirts and Who pullovers. In a survey last year by online retail company Rush Order Tees, the top nine uh, music t-shirts owned by respondents were all artists from the 1990s or earlier, with ACDC taking the top spot. Ariana Grande came in at number 10. Okay, so she's one more recent artist. But why is it that people buy, for instance, kids who, who don't really know who the Rolling Stones are and have never listened to the Rolling Stones or the Beatles, for that matter? I mean, Bob Dylan, you could say, well, he has a Nobel Prize. Brian Ebiger, who goes by the stage name Edsel Dope, is the lead singer of the heavy metal band Dope which was formed in 1997, he echoed the sentiment. He said, honestly, I'd rather a kid buy my merchandise than listen to my music because I make more money from a shirt than him actually listening <laughs> to my music for free on uh, Spotify. Uh, Jeremy, do you listen to Dope? No, no, Jer Jeremy's also too, too, uh, too young for it, I guess. Uh, whether it is Rolling Stones, Nirvana, Led Zeppelin, or Sublime, it seems like you can't go a day at school without seeing one of these T-shirts, uh, wrote um, a number of, of people who are reporting on this teenage trend. So what would it be? Usually for, for young people, if there's something that's associated with your parents, that's uh, considered kind of out of date and embarrassing, right? And yet uh, there are people buying all these Rolling Stones t-shirts. It begins with that that uh, tongue with lips that was associated as a Rolling Stones symbol way back when they were first popular, still are. 
Uh, more coming up. James Taylor at the White House. Seeing what? We'll get to it. which was uh, sung by James Taylor at the White House to celebrate the, the Inflation Reduction Act, has to be one of the most peculiar choices for musical background. And uh, again, this is the Inflation Reduction Act, and it was supposed to be this big triumph for the Biden administration. So. Why are they singing this mournful song? It, it, uh, apparently, it's about the suicide of a friend of James Taylor's, which actually happened that he was writing about. The lyrics say, just yesterday morning, they let me know you were gone. Suzanne, the plans they made put an end to you. I walked out this morning and I wrote down this song. I just can't remember who to send it to. I've seen fire and I've seen rain. I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end. I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend. That might be true for Joe Biden at lonely times that he could not find a friend. But I always thought that I'd see you again. Won't you look down upon me, Jesus? You've got to help me make a stand. You've got to see me through another day. My body's aching and my time's at hand and I won't make it any other way. So this is how you celebrate the in Inflation Reduction Act? Really? I, uh, I think that's a, a, a tough association to make. Uh, there, there's another item here on, on what uh, we were talking about, and my wife uh, came in. I'm very, very lucky that she listens to the show and then uh, will tell me everything I've done wrong and, and, and sometimes some things that, uh, that have gone right on the show. But she came in and she was commenting on this piece that had appeared in the Wall Street Journal that I was sharing with you. It's a piece by Rebecca Picciotto about uh, the strange fact of uh, young people wearing the T-shirts with bands that they really know nothing about, that they wouldn't be caught dead listening to and it's kind of surprising because generally you assume that um, uh, what uh, parents do is not exactly hip or cool or something that kids are going to want to emulate so she pointed out and I hadn't noticed okay this this shows that sometimes even though I try to be observant in a religious sense Sometimes I'm not observant in a literal sense of noticing things around me. We spent the weekend, we had uh, two of our grandchildren staying over with us, and uh, they're little. And uh, our five-year-old granddaughter and a uh, one-and-a-half-year-old um, grandson, uh, David, who's named after my late father. 
And David apparently was wearing, when he was dropped off with us, a Nirvana T-shirt. And <laughs> Diane made a very important point. Uh, David, at one and a half, didn't buy the T-shirt. Uh, a lot of these kids who are 9, 10, 11, however old they are, they don't buy the clothes themselves. Parents buy them. And that's why you will find some people uh, actually wearing uh, garb or collecting caps or uh, other things that their parents think are cool because up until a certain level in life, uh, kids don't, especially boys, don't uh, really take the initiative in uh, making clothing decisions. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then, then uh, Jeremy says you, you could have a, uh, or actually it's Greg saying you have daughters who are actually raiding their father's closets for cool clothes that are supposed to be cool now look I think it's just that there is a general sense that there was something particularly exciting and that in some regards is true about the 60s and about the 70s. About the 80s and 90s, is it just my stage of life or was that uh, a less dramatic, a less impactful moment in our history? And then there's this, uh, it's by uh, Gary Abernathy and the headline in the Washington Post is one that I particularly like because it cites uh, the title of my most recent book. Uh, opinion for most Christians, God's hand on, on America is a comfort, not a weapon. Uh, my book is God's Hand on America, Divine Providence in the Modern Era. And Gary Abernathy writes, I grew up attending a small country church where every Sunday morning the 75 or so regular attendees heard Bible-based sermons with a heavy emphasis on the danger of veering from the straight and narrow and landing in eternal damnation in a fiery hell. It was fun, he says. Occasionally woven into the dogma were reminders of the Christian underpinnings of the United States, complete with spiritually-based quotes from the Founding Fathers asking God's guidance and blessings on the new nation. In the 1960s and early 70s, such teachings were markedly apolitical, there were no rantings or ravings declaring one political party good and the other one evil. There was a simply a comforting belief that we lived in a nation formed and guided by God. And no one need lift a finger to ensure that situation. It simply was. Well, he is exactly right. And one of the points that I make is that people who do see the hand of providence in America uh, understood as as Lincoln referred to himself many times as an instrument and talked about a providential instrument. He saw himself not as someone who was uh, particularly deserving of divine favor, but people uh, someone who was being used for a divine purpose. And uh, looking back, politicizing conservative Christianity was probably a mistake, even if well-intentioned. It's natural for Christianity to exist in a state of tension within an inclusive democracy. Consider 
Jesus's great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, which includes, of course, this nation. By Scripture, Christians are not encouraged to just live and let live, but our Constitution says otherwise. Walking that tightrope is a challenge. For instance, Christians, he writes, often struggle with how much to be involved with or live apart from the world. What will not change is the sincere belief held by millions of Christians and others, like this other, uh, that the United States has a special spiritual purpose. Such a purpose is carried out by black churches and ministers during the civil rights era of the 1950s and 60s as regarded as crucial to the movement's success. An individual's personal belief system, he, he writes, whether it's based on religion or other guiding principles, informs their political actions. That will never change, but because Christianity is and will long be the predominant religion in the United States, it's important that Christians, says Gary Abernathy, constantly remind themselves not to impose their beliefs on others by weight of law or strength of numbers. The deal we made long ago for the freedom to worship as we see fit was to guarantee that same right to people of all religions or no religions of all. And, uh, and then he, he concludes, when discussing Christian nationalism, nuance is, as usual, in short supply. It is one thing to hold the misguided belief that Christianity must have a government-sanctioned presence in society. It's quite another to be comforted, to be inspired by the thought that the United States plays a special role in God's plan. As for the latter, believers should reassure themselves that God's will for America will be fulfilled with no legislative assistance required. And I'm not sure if the uh, an email that came in when we were talking about the homeless activism in California, it came in from Surprise, uh, Arizona, and from Brian, who writes in, uh, Dear Michael, I have a solution for the homeless problem. There should be a nationwide law called the Two Choices Law. When law enforcement officer, officers encounter homeless people, they should be given two choices, accept shelter, gratefully, I think, and services or go to jail. Take care, Michael. Uh, well, they do make the one choice available frequently. There's a, a question at hand about um, uh, what next for the midterm elections. Coming up on the Medved Show in this greatest nation on God's green earth.